0: Welcome to the Brick by Brick podcast, a project of Arcade Church. My name is Beth Whitney, and I'm here with my co-host and partner in crime, Cole Harper. Uh, This month, we are discussing the value and dignity of human life. If you have children with you, we recommend you giving this a listen first, and then deciding if it's appropriate for your kids to listen. We discuss abortion procedures, and so we wanted to offer a trigger warning to everyone listening. Um, we believe God has imaged himself in every human, and because of that, everyone has value and worth. Uh, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a thing, and we'd love it if you would rate our podcast as well. So, my friend Cole, how are you doing today?
1: Uh, another Manic Monday. Uh, a car? I think it was the Carpenters, right? No, that was the Bengals. Bengals. Ugh. Tried, I oh. tried, a tried. <laughs> trying to contextualize nice to your try. generation. Yeah, okay. We're
0: the forgotten <laughs> ones, so why would you know this is the Bengals?
1: Touche. Uh, how are you how are you holding up?
0: I I agree it is a little bit of a manic Monday, yeah. but I love doing the podcast. So this is a fun day for me.
1: Oh, it's a high point for sure. Awesome. Let me ask you something. Uh, what give me your most recent and fun family activity that you guys have been doing like on the weekend since it's warmed up.
0: Sure, uh actually last uh Saturday, Sarah, my 16-year-old and I went to Old Folsom and they were mm-hmm. having an art hop. Oh, and cool. And she's an artist and so this like fed her soul, but we just had a blast checking out all the different artists and going into different galleries mm-hmm. and you know, eyeballing all the jewelry and then I think the highlight was there was a street magician and <laughs> He was pretty funny, and we just like we got the giggles together. And then, of course, we went to Snooks and had a treat. Yeah, you don't even know what Snooks is. I don't.
1: How did you know? I don't. You will
0: you will discover Snooks when you go on Sutter Street, and you will thank me profusely.
1: Well, now that I know that David Blaine is hanging out on Sutter Street, I don't know that will be there at all. (laughs) Uh, <laughs> it was creepy, I
0: promise. Okay, so what about you? What's something fun you've done recently?
1: No, fair question. Uh, so our daughter, uh, she is, I think, twenty, going on 22 months. Awesome. And we've started this thing on the weekends where we will just city park hop. And so we know this place has the cool slides and it has like the canopy over that keeps her from getting sunburned and all of that. And so, yeah, we're just dotting the map, trying to become sort of like park experts and just like spending the day and kind of letting her, okay, are we going to swing next? I guess we're doing a slide for the fourth time. Or she'll put a stuffed animal in the swing and try to swing it. So we're just having those days where we find out what's around us and let her drive appropriately. What
0: you're saying is if people have a favorite park in the Sacramento area, they need to email it to you.
1: Correct, and because... then you can
0: hit all the fun parks.
1: Well, yeah, because I'm starting from scratch. Right. You know, right. yeah, I have no idea.
0: I know. I asked you what park, and you just kind of looked at me like, uh, uh-uh. <laughs> well, the one you... around the corner, <laughs> yeah, and then I the one know. around the other corner. It all
1: merges together. Yeah. yeah,
0: you're gonna you're gonna find all the fun parks. I promise. I hope so. We we'll, we won't let you miss the fun ones.
1: Aw, you're the best mom ever.
0: All right, so we are excited about our guest this month. We have our friend Heidi Matsky and I realize I've known Heidi for a very, very long time. We won't say how long, because then that'll age us. We don't want to do that. But Heidi Matsky is the Executive Director of Alternative Pregnancy Center, and RK Church supports alternatives, which is makes Heidi's uh, presence with us even more special. But Alternatives is a women's health clinic in Sacramento. It was founded in 1983, and their mission is to provide women with medical care and alternatives to abortion as they proclaim the hope of the gospel. Heidi's passion for defending life comes from a personal family experience. Her sister had an unplanned pregnancy, but ultimately chose life. And it was a pregnancy center that offered her family support and healing. Wow, Heidi, I'm already getting emotional. Um, Heidi is a pastor's wife. Um, Her husband has been in pastoral ministry at a local church, our daughter church, which is another connection, um, for the last 23 years. And they share two kids, a daughter and a son. They are 18 and twenty. So Heidi, um, she has been traveling with Alliance Defending Freedom all across the country. You've spoken to dozens of panels representing pro-life pregnancy centers. Her passion is to provide hope, healing, and to reclaim the Sacramento area for life. Heidi, welcome. We are so, so glad you're here.
1: Thank you for joining us.
0: Yeah.
2: I'm honored to be here. I'm so excited for this conversation to take place. It's such a vital conversation in the midst of what's happening in our country right now and even
0: in our state. For sure. Um, So here's something we are wrestling through as a church family, the dignity and worth of human life. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, how are people understood? Being made in God's image is a position we hold. It's not a set of abilities or attributes. Um... Heidi, we are seeing the dignity and value of human life be politically polarized before it's even understood. How, you know, how do we have that conversation about life without bringing politics into it? It's a gospel issue before it's political. And I know you believe that. I've, I've heard it from you so many times. Mm-hmm. But um, give us a brief history lesson. Tell us about how, how did we get here where we are? Well, brief and history lesson. Yeah, sorry, sorry. (laughs) It's very difficult, but I'll do my best. You
2: know, looking back um, as it relates to Roe versus Wade, the landmark decision was made on January 22nd of 1973. And the court had held that a woman's right at that time um, to an abortion was implicit in the right to privacy protected by the 14th amendment of the constitution. So prior to this, abortion was illegal since the late 19th century. But what was interesting as I was doing my own research and preparing for this is predating uh, that date, the 19th century, abortion was legal until the point of quickening, which was interesting. That means when a woman, Could actually feel
0: the movements in her womb. I've heard that recently and thought that was so fascinating. Yeah,
2: yeah. And then on January 22nd of 1973, um, the Supreme Court, in a 7-2 decision, struck down the Texas law uh, banning abortion and effectively legalizing the procedure nationwide. In a majority opinion written by Justice Harry Blackmun, the court declared that a woman's right to an abortion was implicit in the right to privacy protected by our 14th Amendment. Um, And then you have, you know, Margaret Sanger, right? That was one of the things you mentioned, doing a little history on that. She opened the first Planned Parenthood in 1916 as a birth control clinic. Mm -hmm. Uh, When Roe v. Wade passed in 73, Planned Parenthood became one of the leading clinics that acted as a safe haven for women who were interested in abortion. Planned Parenthood actively uses the Plan B, birth control, abortion, Abortion, emergency co- contraceptives, and more to prevent life, and to be an advocate for mainly for the mother. Um, and obviously, Margaret Singer, we all know that she was inherently racist. Yes. Um, and so, where we're at today, I mean, uh, it's it's crazy to think that um, over the last fifty years um, that we could be living. In a time to see the overturning of this federal law. But yeah. I want your listening audience to understand one really important thing. And the overturning of Roe v. Wade um, doesn't decriminalize abortion. Right. Hmm. Um, the overturning of Roe v. Wade basically just puts the hand just puts the decision in the hands of each state. Mm. Okay. Um, so the language that was used in um, the creating or the leaked briefs that went out basically had nothing to do with abortion. It was, it was all about how this law was created and it was created inappropriately and it goes against uh, a 14th amendment and it should actually be put back into the hands of the state. Mm -hmm. And um, so that is really important for your listening audience to understand, despite what's being communicated to them right now, that we are not in a place now where all of a sudden abortion is going to be illegal throughout the country.
1: Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Right.
0: Good. Thank you. That was good. That was brief. Well, thanks. Good job. And helpful. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Okay. So, uh, you know, I've been doing some research in preparation for this, but also... um, being pro-life, I feel it's important that I educate myself. Um, So I have been, but something I've been hearing is the rate of abortions declining. But I remember you talking about chemical abortions. And so um, I would love if you would talk to us about the reality of chemical abortions and whether you think the rate of abortions is actually going down.
2: Yeah. So again, it's really important that your listening audience know for a fact that despite what the CDC says about declining abortion rates, that's a false reality. Mm. Because in the last decade, uh, counties and states have not been required to report abortion statistics. So when states And counties are no longer required, those abortion clinics are no longer required to report statistics to the CDC. It's going to look Mm -hmm, as though abortion has been on the decline for the last decade, and that actually is a false reality. That is not happening. And uh, that's with surgical abortion and with chemical Mm -hmm. abortion. So it's really important for your listening audience to know that they may see statistics, and you may hear politicians say uh, abortion. Abortion is on the decline, but that is not true.
1: Gotcha. So they're only they're only as good as the data they have, which is
2: exactly like
1: Swiss cheese, was what you're saying.
2: Yeah. And when you go look at California statistics and abortion clinics here in California, you will see no county has reported abortion statistics.
1: Oh my word. So well,
2: they don't have to. They so don't have why to? bother? Right. Hmm. And so what that does to the listening audience is if you go do abortion statistics. Uh, research, you know, you find that in one year, uh, I think it was 2021, 72 million abortions happened worldwide. So that was worldwide. Hold on. Hold on. Say that again. 72 million abortions happened worldwide in one year. Worldwide. And what's it's a little less
1: than a third of the population of the United States' worth of people? Yes. Holy smokes.
2: And so when you realize the magnitude of that number, those are numbers that have only been reported. Mm -hmm. Oh,
1: God. The ones
2: that go unreported, um, it is absolutely overwhelming um, and heartbreaking Mm -hmm. the reality Mm -hmm. of what we're looking at. Yeah. So going back to your original Mm -hmm. question, as it relates to the difference between chemical abortion and surgical abortion, again, it's really important that your listening audience understands and is educated on this subject. Mm -hmm. I can't tell you how many believers, even pro-life believers that I talk to, and after they get a tour down at the clinic, we talk in great length about the difference between surgical and chemical abortion. And people don't even fathom the reality of what's happening. And I will have so many people say, wow, Mm. I knew what abortion was but I had no idea that's what abortion was. Mm -hmm. And again, we politicize everything. And so the word abortion is actually stuck to a political agenda and it dehumanizes Mm -hmm. that infant, that unborn infant in the womb. And, you know, at Alternatives, we're all about um, bringing a window Mm -hmm. into the womb and sharing the reality of what's happening in the womb um, and then giving a woman a safe place to make a decision that's best for her. Mm
1: Well, go ahead. Well, uh, you know what I was thinking it just makes so much sense. The way we talk about abortion, suddenly everything is cloaked in medicinal Latin. It's not a baby. It's a fetus. We don't default to shop talk of like the medical world as aggressively for any other topic. And it feels like that's to shield us from like the realities that are taking place there. So it makes sense that people tour uh, your facility and find themselves thinking, oh my word, I thought I knew. I didn't actually know. Yeah.
2: yeah, it happens every single day, whether you're Christian, non-Christian, believer, pro-choice, pro-life. I just had a, a conversation with a gentleman this weekend, ironically, in preparation for this conversation, and I was blown away um, by his... Um, I wanna just say ignorance Mm -hmm. towards the reality of what abortion is. And what I realized, the more I spoke with him, the more I realized he thought abortion was a DNC. He thought abortion was when a baby died in the womb and she had to have a surgical procedure in order to remove that baby from the womb. And when I basically shared, no, the reality is, is here in California even, you can have abortions up to 40 weeks gestation and a a living baby's life is taken in that womb. And regardless of, you know, that woman choose making that choice, you know, we have uh, third trimester abortions every day here in California. And he, you wouldn't believe his reaction. His reaction basically said, you know, you're just that right wing." political person who's absolutely crazy. If that was really what was going on in our country today, like the whole world would be up in arms. Like you're such a liar. And I'm like, wow. Like, wow. Like, we are so really ignorant yeah. Yeah. as a country mm-hmm. to the reality of what's happening, and that's why conversations like these are so absolutely vital to our church communities and, and to the community at large. And so anyways, I wanted to talk really briefly about the difference between chemical mm-hmm. abortion and surgical abortion, yes. like you mentioned. So uh, chemical abortion is the abortion of choice today, and it's being given out like candy, right? Re- uh, really. But um, uh, but let's start with surgical. So surgical abortion has been going on for decades. Um, and basically what happens is a woman will go into Planned Parenthood. She will be given a pregnancy test to determine how far along she is in her pregnancy, and then uh, an ultrasound as well. The ultrasound will determine if she has a first, second, or third trimester abortion. And that depends on what will happen in a first, second, and third trimester abortion. Different things happen in different trimesters. So if it's a first trimester abortion, a woman basically will have a doctor there, uh, a nurse there. She will be numb from the waist down. Uh, Her remnants of her uterus will be completely removed. And um, she will basically go into a recovery room and given instructions on how to take care of herself when she leaves. Now, that usually happens through aspiration where there's a vacuum that goes up and, and, and sucks the fetus out, the baby out of the womb. Mm -hmm. Second trimester, they basically literally dismember, um, the baby in the womb. And typically in a second and third trimester abortion, you always have the patient has to be put out completely out. Um, so, you know, you always have a doctor there, you always have a nurse there, you know, you have the pain medication, um, or you're, completely put under and, you know, you go into a recovery room and you're given instructions on how to take care of yourself as you leave. So that's the reality of surgical abortion, but chemical abortion is something far more traumatic. And you would think, how is that possible? Right. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But it is, it is the abortion of choice today for our youth. Um, Because the idea that you don't have to go into a doctor's office and sit with a doctor and have this surgical procedure done um, it's very appealing towards mm. our
0: youth. It's and, almost like the self-checkout version, yes. which I'm just cringing saying that, but mm-hmm. like, oh, I don't have to go in. I don't have to show my face wow. to anyone. I can just take care hmm. of it myself.
2: Yeah, it's exactly it. And no one's really educating them on the process that's mm-hmm. about to happen to them. And so it is gut-wrenching to see the experiences that these women and hear their experiences Mm -hmm. that they have. So these young women will go into Planned Parenthood. Um, This all was prior to 2020. A lot's happened since then, Mm -hmm. but they would typically go in and if they were 10 weeks and less, that's really important that your listening audience know, if they were 10 weeks and less in gestation, um, then they could be offered the chemical abortion. The reason 10 weeks and less is because um, it's a very Invasive chemical that these that they're taking, and if it's taken beyond the ten weeks, hemorrhaging and life threatening circumstances can take effect. Okay. So ten weeks and less, uh, there's it's a series of two pills. It's different from the morning after pill. Mm -hmm. Uh, The morning after pill is something you take the morning after and it uh, disrupts the lining of the uterine wall. And and basically if conception took place, the products of conception, you know, would leave the body. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's a series of two pills. The first series of pills given in the doctor's office is taken and that pill begins the starvation process. Um, The second pill, they're given and they're told to go home and to not leave their home until their abortion takes place and to take the second series of pills 48 hours later. So the first series of pills, again, causes the starvation process. The second series of pills causes her to go into labor. So you can imagine many of these young women are isolated in a bathroom all by themselves. Um, We had three 12-year-olds in 2018 and 2019 gain access to the abortion pill without any parental consent. These young girls um, are in a bathroom all by themselves. There is no doctor there. There is no nurse there. There is no pain medication, and they're physically going into labor, seeing everything come out of their body on the floor, in the toilet, in
0: the shower, and many. Uh, hold, of... hold on, hold on. I know you talk about this every day. Mm-hmm. Um, this is so jarring. I, I'm I'm a woman who's had who's been in labor a couple times. Mm-hmm. Um, it's terrifying. It's painful. It's emotional, like the horm- like all of it. And to imagine a twelve-year-old child, it's this is not going to be an easy conversation, Heidi. Yeah. Um, thank you again for being here. But but I I think we need to digest that for a minute. Mm-hmm. So any woman who's listening, or any man who's watched a woman in labor, mm-hmm. now imagine a teenage girl. Dealing with that at home and nobody knows.
2: Completely isolated by mm-hmm. herself. Mm-hmm. Uh, no pain medication.
0: Yeah. Again, yeah.
2: no doctor there, yeah. no nurse there. And this is considered by our government to be quality health care. It, and and you know what what really gets me is when people talk about you know if Roe v Wade is overturned you know we're going to go back to the days of hangers. Right. Can I just say this is worse than hangers? Mm-hmm. Oh, totally. I mean, we are at a place where these young women um, are are wrecked. I mean, mm-hmm. the PTSD that these young women are experiencing. Is only from the hand of the enemy on every single level. The isolation, the um, shame, the pain, the um, the visual. Many of these young women will also say, uh, because they come back to plan, uh, they come back to alternatives. Mm-hmm. If they leave alternatives and say, well, I'm going to move forward with a chemical abortion, we let them know, um, Planned Parenthood will not be there after that happens, wow! but alternatives will be. Mm-hmm. And we've had a lot of experience with young women who have hemorrhaged and had all kinds of issues as a result of that. But what's crazy is many of these young girls will say, they told me it was just a clump of cells. And I physically saw my baby on the floor. I saw its arms and its legs. I saw it moving. And some of them, as gross as it sounds, will actually say, I picked up my baby and I carried it around. In 20% of those cases, it's so important for people to understand the baby isn't fully dead. Mm. And so you have a young woman who is wrapping a baby in toilet paper and flushing it down the toilet. Like that is the reality of, of where we're at right now with chemical abortion. Now, I'm going to take this a couple of steps further. Mm-hmm. So, first, you can imagine as a young woman, if you've experienced abortion, at Planned Parenthood, you never again have to drive by that Planned Parenthood. Mm. But every single morning, a young woman has to walk into her bathroom and relive the experience that she had. Again, the PTSD that these young women experience is unbelievable.
1: It's so, when you said that, what was so strange is so many things clicked with me with how the Old Testament will speak of uh, places being defiled. Mm -hmm. That is so true to the human experience, Mm -hmm. right? It it almost prints on the environment in a way that it's never the same. I'm staggered. Mm -hmm. I'm absolutely staggered. Yeah.
2: And unfortunately, I'm here to say to your listening audience, it just gets worse Mm -hmm. because here in California, AB 22... AB 2223 is a law that is on the books right now that will legalize infanticide. And a lot of people don't even know what infanticide is. Like, what is infanticide? Um, And let me explain what is happening and why it's happening. I feel like a couple of weeks ago, I actually called Craig and Debbie and I was in this panic moment. Craig has been, you know, because I'm married to a pastor, Craig and Debbie have been like, The pastor to pastors. Yeah. Totally. (laughs) And there have been these moments over the last seven years, Beth has witnessed Mm -hmm, them, mm -hmm. where God has literally just rocked me to my core, and I just needed a place to go and cry. Yeah. And I just needed a place to go and just unload the burden that as the director... Um, of this clinic is, and and what God's called me to, oftentimes I feel like Mm -hmm. Jeremiah, you know, you're speaking a message that nobody wants to hear and people don't even like you. And they don't even like it when you're around because you make them feel uncomfortable. And yet it's burning in your bones and Mm -hmm. you don't have a choice. You have to speak it. And so there's so many circumstances where I have God has literally unveiled my eyes to the reality of what is actually going on behind the scenes. And I have had to just sit in that and go, okay, Lord, what do you want me to do with this? And about three weeks ago, I was giving a tour and I was talking about this very thing with a gentleman that I was giving a tour to. All along, Talking about AB 2223 and what the reality of infanticide means here in our culture. And I'm hoping I can articulate this enough to where your audience will understand it. But here's the deal if infanticide is made legal here in California, um, basically, um, in an abortion, first, second, and third trimester abortions, What that means is a baby can be born alive at any stage of pregnancy and left to die up to 28 days. And I remember talking about and explaining for second and third trimester abortions, and the reality hit me that abortion is actually going to look so different in the future if infanticide is made legal, because you no longer have to rip apart a baby in the womb in order to deliver it. Mm. All you have to do is use a drug called misopristone. Misopristone is a drug that induces labor. You now can induce labor at first trimesters, second trimesters, and third trimesters. And babies are no longer dismembered in the woman's body. And now they are born alive. Mm -hmm. And they are now the possession of the abortion clinic that is having that abortion. And what that means to abortion clinics is- um, Money. Babies born alive are used for the harvesting of baby parts and the fresher their body parts Mm -hmm. are. And the the less dismembered they are, the more valuable they are. Mm -hmm. So we now as a culture, what happened a year and a half ago is the Biden administration released protective protocols on the abortion pill. A year and a half ago, I saw this coming. Mm -hmm. And what that means is a woman at any stage. Remember I said 10 weeks and less. Yep. Now a woman at any stage of pregnancy can gain access to the abortion pill. Pimps can gain access to the abortion pill.
1: Good heavens. Yeah.
2: Abusive fathers. Abusive yeah. fathers. Abusive husbands. Yep. Abusive husbands can gain access to the abortion pill. And so once misopristone is given to the woman, she then will deliver that baby. Uh, we all know that a 10-week and less in gestation baby is not going to last for very long outside right. the womb. But if a 30-week-old woman in labor taking misopristol gets these drugs in hand, um, we know that that baby is most likely not going to be born alive or is not going to be... Um, uh, um, killed in the womb. Right. In fact, she's going to deliver a baby that she thought was dead. And in fact, she's looking down at a baby born alive. So in that moment, she's going to have one of two options. She is going to look down at that child and she's going to take matters into her own hands. Mm-hmm. Or she is going to call 911 mm-hmm. and she's going to be rushed to the hospital along with that baby. Mm-hmm. So the reality of... The Biden administration giving our entire population access to the abortion pill means that they have to pass laws mm-hmm. that protect okay. women and hospitals from being criminalized mm-hmm. in those situations.
1: That okay? What you're saying there that clicked. That makes sense. If if that so, you're saying if the, um, the drugs t- to sort of democratize and distribute across the entirety of the population, uh, a substance that can induce labor like that for the purposes of eventually terminating this baby's life, they have to build a legal infrastructure so that once emergency services are called, no one's criminalized for bringing the procedure in a sense to completion.
2: Exactly it. And not just not, it's not just so that it's, it is happening right now. And that's why the push is so rapidly trying to take place here in California to to basically decriminalize women in abortions. Now, the situation that is being discussed right now is that Um, Like this young man that I spoke with this weekend, he was like, oh, this law is great. It basically protects a woman if she's in a miscarriage and she can't be criminalized. Since when have we ever criminalized women for miscarriages?
1: When we had a miscarriage, I was not worried about the police showing up to take my wife off to jail.
2: Absolutely not. Absolutely not. So we have just had to put together an infrastructure to protect hospitals and individuals because right now women are gaining access to the abortion pill at 30 weeks. They're delivering live babies and they are either taking matters into their own hands or they're being rushed to um, the hospital. So that, that is, you know, just when you think it can't get worse, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. it really does. Yeah. And so back to your question, mm-hmm. the abortion pill is being distributed again like candy. Mm -hmm. And there is no documentation of who's taking it. And as a matter of fact, um, here in schools, Planned Parenthood actually is promoting the RU486 pill as the missed period pill. Mm. So you would just miss your period, you just miss your period and you're sexually active, you just take these horrific drugs and you'll be fine.
0: So, um, I'm, I'm wondering how, uh, so I'm thinking of women's rights and I'm thinking of feminists Mm -hmm. and I'm wondering how not giving women full information Mm -hmm. is, is feminism. That sounds like, oh, you women, you don't really need to know this information. You just sit there and look pretty, Hmm. but education is power. Yes.
2: Education is absolutely power. And women deserve the right to know what's going on with their body. They do. And they deserve the right, you know, right now to make that choice. Right now we live in America where it is a choice Mm -hmm. and it is being given to them. And so they deserve to know what's going to happen to their body when these pills are taken. Mm -hmm. Um, And no one is educating the next generation on what is actually happening. So. To answer your question, no, there's no statistics. It's astronomical. It's scary. And uh, we're entering into a whole new era of what abortion really is going to be. Gosh, that's that's
0: devastating. Okay. Um, so the other day I noticed, I'm going to just reveal, I go on Twitter. Yeah. I'm on Twitter, however you're supposed to say that. And I saw uh, Post Malone and his girlfriend or wife were celebrating their, their pregnancy. Hmm. And this was right coming on the heels of the Roe v. Wade leak where, you know, everyone who had an inkling of pro-choice was now like this pro-choice loud advocate. And to me, the, the dissonance between, oh, yay, we're celebrating a pregnancy and give me my right to, you know, this angry Hmm. pro-choice loud voice. And they just don't, they don't go together in my heart and mind. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't know, maybe that's just me, but it seems like it doesn't make sense to me. Um, So Heidi, why do you think this is how the society at large is reacting? Kind of this, this hot or cold.
1: The right hand doesn't know what the left hand is doing. Yes. (laughs) So to speak.
0: Yes.
2: I think we're reacting as a society to this because culturally it's women who get to determine uh, the value of the life in the womb, not God. Yeah. You know, and culturally yeah. it has been all um, it's it's and I don't want to get too far into the next question. Sure. But, you know, our culture is the one that determines um, if you love that little baby in your womb and you are planning the future with it, then it has value. Mm-hmm.
0: And if you don't want it, it absolutely has no value. So to share something uh, personal, my second child, when she was born, she was huge, like over 10 pounds. And it turns out I had gestational diabetes that was undiagnosed and it was very dangerous. I mean, it was scary. So then I get pregnant with my third child and the doctors and nurses are doing everything they can to protect this baby and to protect me. I got you know, if you've ever had that disgusting drink we have to drink when we're pregnant that to test you for gestational diabetes, I took that test like seven times before it finally was like, okay, yes. And they just, they worked so hard to protect Sarah. But if I didn't want her, if I didn't want her, that would have been okay. And I remember sitting in my gynecologist's office, my OB doctor's office one day, and I just was like, oh my gosh, it's my decision. Mm -hmm. Like, what if, what if I just didn't want this baby? Mm -hmm. They would just be like, all right, well, let's make an appointment. Mm -hmm. But instead, because I wanted that child who was a surprise gift from the Lord, <laughs> mm. um, they they worked overtime to make sure everything was okay. It is just crazy. You're so right. The
1: arbitrariness of that. Mm-hmm. It's unfathomable. And it does... Do, man, doesn't it illustrate that, wow, um, dignity and value, it has to arrive from a transcendent source. That's the only way this makes sense. Yep. Like, otherwise it is absolutely arbitrary dependent upon preference or what have you. Even if that preference is deeply rooted in like difficulty and all of that, like without without the God who is there, mm-hmm. value downstream mm-hmm. is illusory. Right. But it has to be. Right. Good right. night.
2: Well, and, uh, you know, I'll never forget when the reality of infanticide and where we're at with the abortion pill came to light at our clinic last year. Again, I had one of those moments of just panic. And uh, we had a young woman who gained access to the abortion pill in her thirty week of pregnancy, walked into alternatives, thinking we were in an abortion clinic, and she was going into labor. And it was one of those moments, you know, as the director where you're like, "Oh my gosh, like we're not ready for this." What happens when this woman who does not want her baby goes into labor and delivers on our floor in our clinic? We and she wants that baby dead. Oh like, we don't have policies and procedures in place right now. Oh man. How in the world are we going to protect that baby's life and that woman? And so, immediately, we had to call 911, and of course, we had to ask. <laughs> yeah. for her to be taken to a pro-life hospital, right? Dignity Health is yeah, a pro-life yeah. hospital, but Kaiser and other other local um, hospitals are not. And so it was one of those moments where you just realize, oh my goodness, like we're in a completely different place right now. And that woman does not want that child. And yet every day at Alternatives, like you said, we see women who do want their babies. We see, we call them happy pregnancies. Wow. And we serve them there because we love to be excited with women about mm-hmm. life, mm-hmm. and you do it for free. We do it for free, oh my goodness. with no like for free, for free. There's not a penny that we take. Yep. In fact, a lot of the women that come through and realize, no, it's really free. There is no insurance. A lot of those women will actually become donors of alternatives because they're so impressed wow. by the services that mm-hmm. they got for free yeah. at Alternatives yeah. because of churches like Arcade that yes, yes. support our ministry.
1: <laughs> so like to piggyback off what you're saying, people in general, they make decisions based on what they know, right? And when we know more, we decide differently. It's the curse of knowing, right? When Once you know and you have the data... You go in a different direction, typically. So it is indisputable that what is in a mother's womb is life, right? Like imagine this standard protracted onto Mars. If we found the equivalent of what's in a a mother's womb at Mars, we would all be high fiving saying we found life in the universe, right? But suddenly when it's in a mother's womb, it's all mysterious and who can say? Um, So walk me through how the abortion industry has possibly suppressed access to information uh, about what it is that's inside a mother's womb, whether that's 3D and 4D ultrasounds. um, How has the abortion industry interacted with educational tools in general?
2: Well, typically what we hear from women who come from the sidewalk or come from Planned Parenthood is that they refuse to offer ultrasounds to women who aren't right from the gate, choosing abortion. Mm-hmm. So they refuse to give women a, a a window into the womb through an ultrasound image because they're not making that abortion choice. And what's crazy is um, alternatives has actually, they've been referring patients to us. So we heard recently, especially, I don't want to give it away, but uh, one of the abortion clinics locally in the area, one of their first questions is, are you going to have an abortion? And if the question, if the answer to that is no, then they immediately say, then you need to go to alternatives. Awesome, wow. which is fabulous. Like wow. it, it really is yeah. great. But so to answer your question, um, not giving women. the education that they need to make an informed choice. And um, the services, the medical services that Planned Parenthood supposedly offers to women um, and, uh, you know, ultrasound to a woman to help her make that choice. Uh, Women are left to the voice of the culture and what they've learned. And that's how they end up, uh, you know, making the choice. But, you know, to add on to that, what I want to say is that, Let's just be honest. It's it's never been about the life in the womb,
1: right? Hmm. Someone had to say it.
2: <laughs> it's n- it's never been about that because w- most logical people know that life begins in the womb, right? You know, you really have to argue a lot and really hard to know that life. And now what's crazy is now that we see 20 week old babies born in abortion pill on the floor, right. they realize, oh, wow, that's not just a clump of cells. No, that is a fully formed baby that I'm looking down on. And so it is undeniable. It has never been about proving the life in the womb. And it has always instead been about the choice Mm -hmm. Of a mother and whether or not she wants
0: to choose. What kills me is the term mother. Yes. Because if there's a, a, whatever you want to call it, fetus, baby, child, infant, in your womb, Mm -hmm. your mother, Mm -hmm. but you're going to make a choice so how can we call you a mo- I, I, mm-hmm. It just, it hurts my heart so badly as a mother yeah. um, that And it hurts your heart so badly because you've had the
2: incredible privilege and blessing of knowing first off your God, Uh and then knowing the blessing, even though you've had an unplanned pregnancy, the blessing of knowing that God never makes a mistake when he creates life in the womb, not ever, not Not in rope, not rope, not in rape, not in any other situation, God never makes a mistake when he creates life. It's always for a reason. And you know, James tells us that every good gift Mm -hmm. and every perfect gift is from above, Mm -hmm. coming down from the Father of lights with whom there's Uh no variation or shadow due to change. And of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth so that we could be the kind of first fruits of his creatures. Like God has given us these incredible gifts, even though they may be unplanned, even though you may be sitting in the midst of incredible. Fear. It is meant to be a gift to you from the Lord in the midst of your sin. Yep. And to use it for your good and for God's glory. Yep.
1: I, I it makes sense why, especially as you have um removed the veil we often use to distance us from unpleasant realities. Like you've really filled in the lines and on what abortion is and what happens. It makes sense that it jars a redeemed conscience, in a sense, right? Because the point of the gospel is God says, "I die for you," and with abortion, it's,
0: you die "Baby, you me. die for
1: me." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like it's the upside down. Yep. For all you Stranger Things fans, um, no, the, the, it makes sense why we feel that whiplash. It is an it is anti gospel to the core. It's a photo negative of the thing that saved us.
2: Absolutely. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. Let me ask you this from your perspective, right? Does it help or hurt when like the right to life vigilantes, people who are moved at the level of conscience, right? Take matters into their own hands and then do things like target clinics and even abortion doctors, things of that nature. Like what, what happens in your line of work when you turn on the news and you see someone has decided to play, you know, suicide bomber at an abortion clinic?
2: Well, first off, as as believers in tr- Jesus Christ, I mean, God's word tells us that we are to love our enemies <laughs>
1: mm-hmm.
2: and that we are to pray for those who persecute us and we are do, to do good to those who intend us harm. And I don't want to get too off topic, but it is so vitally important that prayer is our first weapon um, huh. um, because... Alternatives Pregnancy Center is an incredible example of that. Um, I love this story. Um... Five years ago, when we were getting ready to celebrate our 35th anniversary, I was doing history of the organization and trying to, you know, recall all that God has done, you know, over and over again in our lives, God calls us to recall, to remember. And, you know, Alternatives has been serving the Sacramento area for 40 years now. Mm -hmm. Back then, 35, we were celebrating our 35th anniversary and... You know 20 years ago we wanted to be a licensed medical clinic and needed a medical OBGYN doctor in order to make that a reality. We had to have an OB doctor to become a medical clinic. And yet it is so difficult to find Christian OBGYN doctors mm-hmm. who are willing to put their career and life on the line mm-hmm. to support a pro-life organization mm-hmm. in our day and age and our culture, right? And And so the board had been praying and praying that God would raise up an OB doctor that would represent a life and and help us move this organization forward 20 years ago. And what's so crazy is when people choose to pray, God does miracles. Mm. And... Um, There was an abortionist who had performed abortions for years, uh, lost a patient on a table and ended up crying out to God, if you're really there and you save my practice, I will serve you with my life. He wandered onto a local church campus here in Sacramento and just so happened that the uh, pastor that Sunday was talking about abortion and the medical director, the doctor said it was because of the medical accuracy at which he was Describing the abortion process from the pulpit—wow, hmm. which rarely happens,
1: right? Right, that's huge. Yeah, <laughs>
2: um, describing the abortion process from stage that God literally started to pull the scales from His eyes, hmm. and that Sunday he became a believer in Jesus Christ. He um, surrendered his life to the Lord, and at the bottom of the brochure was a pro-life organization that you could get involved in. And so he just happened to call that Monday morning and said, hey, I'm a medical director. I would love to get involved. Can you use my services?
1: You know what's so crazy about that and so cool about that is um, so often I hear like the same folks who I think genuinely are conscious of keeping the main thing, the main thing, the gospel, the gospel, that sort of thing. And then there's a sort of punting that happens on abortions. Like, well, we don't want to get bogged down in political issues. No, I don't think it's a political issue. Like bad things happen when the church like neglects its prophetic witness, you know, to those who are like victimized, orphaned, abandoned, right? There's a whole stream of uh, ethical charge through the Bible of look out for those who are vulnerable and cannot care for themselves. And I don't know, this is a weird um, rabbit trail, but you think of like Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Um, One of the big things that made him join German counterintelligence to start participating in like those assassinations on Hitler's life and that kind of thing, it was uh, Kristallnacht. Um, That was very uh, significant for him when he watched the Nazis break down Jewish uh, businesses and that sort of thing. But it was also when the confessing church in Germany uh, officially decided, no, we're... We're we're siding with Hitler on this. And he knew the prophetic witness had like gone, right? Um, So what I find is incredible about your story is that when the church doubles down on its prophetic witness and it increases its differentiation from a culture predicated on bloodshed and murder. Hold on. um,
0: Can you say that in regular words?
1: When the church uh, sees life and death issues as gospel issues... Amen. Everyone wins. Thank That's you. what it sounds like you're saying. Am I wrong?
2: No, you're not wrong at all. And and the cool thing about that story, that isn't even half of it. The cool thing about that story is that thir- uh, five years ago when I was doing research, I found a document dated 1984. And at the top of that document, it was board minutes from 1984. So this is, you know, 18 years even before that doctor came to us. And at the top of those board minutes, it said board line item prayer. Pray for Dr. Wong. You're kidding. So 20 years before he became our medical director, uh, going back to your original question, our board was doing the most unthinkable thing. They were praying that God would transform the heart of an abortionist so that he would serve and honor him with his life. And that is exactly what God has done through the life of Dr. Vanson Wong at our clinic. And not only did he do that 20 years ago, he's still now saving babies every... Tuesday at Alternatives Pregnancy Center um, because a pastor, regardless of the political environment yeah. that we were in, chose to speak life and pull the scales off of oh, our culture um, and, and do something that was unacceptable. And here's the deal. What's crazy is that pastor doesn't speak about it much anymore, but... Oh. And, and neither do many other pastors. I mean, Craig, praise mm-hmm. God, yeah. is so, and Debbie is so outspoken about protecting innocent life and giving somebody like me a voice. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, very few pastors will touch this subject. And that is, as a pastor's wife, that's what's kind of rocked my world a little oh, wow. bit, because what you realize is when, when God's shepherds, yeah. that he's placed all throughout communities and he's placed sheep into the care of that shepherd's yeah. hands. And they refuse to talk about the most uh-huh. political issue of our time. Our sheep are left to the voice of the culture and the voice of the uh-huh. culture always leads to death, death. Always. And yet what I realized too, wow. is very few pastors know how to talk about this issue. Right. And there's so many reasons why they choose not to. And I've just been praying with all my heart, Lord, use me as a tool mm-hmm. to help equip pastors to speak a message that they they need to speak. I'm not trying to be their voice. Right. I want to equip them to speak that voice because they're their sheep. Yeah. And they need to hear it from their shepherd. And that is vitally, vitally important in our culture today. And so as far as vigilantes go, you know, we are called to, like I said, pray for those who persecute us and and pray for our enemies. And so, anything contrary to that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, is is not being rep- good representatives of the gospel, and it's not being good representatives of Christ. It's not the
1: kingdom culture.
2: It's not it, uh, and it doesn't do any good.
1: Yeah.
2: Um. It actually it actually harms yeah. our witness and our voice and our testimony.
1: Yeah. That's what's staggering. You look at like someone like William Wilberforce when he like was viciously attacking the British slave trade um, he refused to stop pricking the conscience of the of the well to dos right and saw it as a gospel issue and I'm re- I, and i 'm really glad Wilberforce saw the British slave trade as a gospel issue mm-hmm. and didn 't punt on it because oh well we don't want to be divisive.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, and going back to your comment, I mean, back in Auschwitz, I mean, they, there was testimony of the churches right outside Auschwitz singing louder on Sundays just to silence the cries of, of what was going on in those death camps. And, and quite frankly, it's what's happening in our culture today. You know, we as believers don't want to talk about this issue. And so we just sing a little louder and sing all these things that make us feel really good inside instead of talking about what needs to be discussed. Uh, Proverbs 24, 11 says, rescue those who are being led to slaughter, hold back those who are stumbling to death. And if you said you didn't know, Mm -hmm. basically God says he perceives the heart, he knows the heart and he will reward those, um, you know, as such. And we as believers in Jesus Christ, at the end of the day, if you call... Uh, Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, you absolutely have a responsibility to be actively protecting those who are, lead, who are being led to slaughter and hold back those who are stumbling to death. Now, that looks different for each person, and we'll we'll talk about that um, you know, as some of the questions come, but you cannot deny your responsibility if you call yourself a believer in Jesus Christ. This
1: is why the early church was notorious for going out and rescuing infants who were left to die by exposure, especially uh, females. Because they were they were more expensive and to you know raise and marriage and dowries and all of that, um, it was the Chris, early Christian communities going out rescuing those infants, which is ironic because we're almost we could be in the same boat because we have one month olds legally left to die. Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> well, it's so crazy. Is my daughter who's twenty years old showed me a YouTube no a TikTok. Uh, recently. And it was uh, a young girl who was going around to a bunch of youth at a college campus and basically saying, did you hear about the new law that allows people to kill their puppy at 28 days after they, you know, after they're born and, you know, you, you could have the experience of having a puppy and then you could just kill it. And the outcry from the old and the young, the absolute outcry, and then to watch them flip it. Mm-hmm. in the midst of that conversation. And then all of a sudden it becomes about a woman's body and a woman's choice and the anger that they would even think about talking about a puppy like that. And yet we're mm. talking about human life.
1: It's no wonder Paul described th- patterns of thoughts as spiritual strongholds. Yeah, It's like, yeah. why is that so, long, so it's differently? They're different all of a sudden. That's crazy. Yeah.
0: All right. So you know this this TikTok reference you made that is so eye opening. Um, I've been thinking about that too. Where it's like, all right, so what if we were talking about you know everyone's favorite puppy or, um, gosh, that's a that's a perspective shift. I think you, we need, but you know we want to have these conversations with people. So Heidi, how can we have a civil discussion about abortion with someone who's either convinced about being pro choice or maybe on the fence. Are there facts or information or helpful tips to bring to these conversations?
2: Yes, I absolutely believe there are. And I think it starts with the foundation of each of us realizing that we are all sinners saved by grace and that when Christ found each one of us, we were all in the midst of sin, as Romans 5, 8 says, you know, while you were still sinning, Christ died for you. And for some reason, he chose to bestow his grace on my life okay. and to drag me out of complete darkness okay. into light. And when you recognize that that is the foundation at which we have every conversation, uh, we engage with people who've not had the privilege of knowing our Lord and not having the privilege of being touched by His grace. And so we must begin the conversation, as James 1 says, being quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. And he goes on to say, because the righteousness of man is quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to anger for the righteousness of man. The, ang- is it the, the, the anger, anger of man, of man yeah, does yeah. not produce the righteous yeah. life that God commands. And um, we must begin our conversations with being quick to listen to where people stand as it relates to their knowledge on abortion. And why do they have the stance that they have? You know, they may have been raped. They may have had experiences growing up that we couldn't even fathom. And beginning the conversation with, just listening ears and an open heart and an open mind to whatever that person has gone through in their lives that has led them
0: to where they're at, I think is vitally important as Christians. So so you're saying that listening with an open heart isn't agreeing and affirming their position, but it's coming to them probably as Jesus would.
2: Absolutely. You know, when Jesus approached the woman at the well, there was a conversation that happened. He pursued her, mm-hmm. and he wanted to dialogue with her. Mm-hmm. He wanted to talk theology with her. He wanted to know about her past. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and and so yes, it is so vitally important that we listen first yeah. before we speak. Kind of at... that seek to understand heart posture, right? Definitely.
1: So you mean I have to give a rip about the people I'm talking to this about? Is that what you're saying?
2: Well, if you believe in the gospel, (laughs) Gospel? right. (laughs) I think that's I can't just
1: reduce it to uh, like a two dimensional image talking point.
2: Yeah. Because at the end of the day, it's not just about changing a person's mind as it relates to pro-life. It's we want people to know Jesus. Right. And, um, and this conversation very easily leads to a gospel presentation. <laughs> and so we want to be good listeners. And I love what you said, Beth. It's really important that we listen, but just listening doesn't necessarily mean that we agree with what they're saying. And and the reason you listen is because then you realize how you can approach conversations as it relates to, or defend conversations based on God's word or the culture or what you know. Um, and, and you can attack the conversation that way. Otherwise, you know, 1 Corinthians says, um, you know, it's a whole love chapter. Um, We as believers want to be, have every conversation based on love. Mm -hmm. We do not want to be a resounding
0: noise. Right.
2: You know, and... uh, that's really difficult
0: when you're talking about this conversation. Well, and not only that, in our culture, with whoever shouts louder, or whoever's m- angrier, or whoever has a bigger platform, right. or whoever you know is the biggest jerk, wins the conversation. And I don't remember Jesus being any of those things. Yeah, no. I mean, he gave up a kingdom of heaven to come to earth with us, and he gave up so many things. He didn't shout louder. Mm-hmm. He didn't. If he did it, it was to protect uh, the vulnerable. Um, and he's all after
2: our hearts. Exactly. You know, I mean, even, Not winning an argument. Not winning an argument. And at the end of the day, even women who've experienced the pain and loss of abortion, I mean, there's... there. I'm sure there's women that are listening to this conversation right now who have... Ex- and men who have experienced abortion for themselves. And what those women and men need to know is that... Um, God still loves them. And we all sin and fall short of God's glory. And in fact, it's it's that foundation of whatever sin that is for each of us, that God wants to use that mm-hmm. very thing that was the most painful part of your life for His glory and for your good. Yep. And that's why at Alternatives, there are so many women at our clinic who um, uh, are on staff that have experienced abortion. It is They've sought healing and forgiveness, and then they use that as the foundation at which they serve the next generation. And uh, God has taken those ashes and made Mm -hmm. something absolutely beautiful out of it. Mm -hmm. And as believers in Jesus Christ, that's what it's all about. And I I will say, I'm never perfect at this. Do I get angry? (laughs) (laughs) Do I get frustrated sometimes? I mean, we all do, and give yourself some grace, Mm -hmm. because we are defending life Mm -hmm. in a culture that shout, Mm -hmm. but um, my encouragement to all of us is that we approach this subject with love and with grace and with ears that are willing to listen, but then with the truth of the gospel and truth of God's word.
1: Man, I I got a thought. Um, Can't help it. I wonder if we were more... If Christians spoke more with people they don't agree with on a regular basis... The concept of listening and how do I do this without agreeing, that would be a lot more familiar? common sense and familiar. It's crazy because we like to start on the black diamond for the first time. What we are you talking a about? A ski thing. Like okay, we start on the most difficult thing there is. Oh, I never talked to unbelievers except for on abortion. Now I'm going to give this thing a go. Well, whereas if we were having regular conversations and long-term abiding relationships and friendships with not yet believers on the regular, I mean, you'd think we'd be more adept on how do I do that? Like listen, but not agree with, but genuinely listen and actually care. Um,
2: We would learn a lot. Oh my gosh! We would learn a lot, and we would care a lot, Mm -hmm. and um, it would it would totally transform our culture. And and you know, I have a dear dear. Uh, woman in my life who is actually my neighbor and and is very pro choice. And uh, it's like my kids' grandma. And, you know, we struggle to have this conversation. We struggle to talk about political things. And yet she supports our ministry because we help women who have experienced wow. abortion. Uh, and wow. she sees the genuineness at which we serve women. Mm-hmm. And knowing that women can come into our clinic and they can leave and still make an abortion choice and we still experience Accept them after the fact, and that's Man. so important for yeah. her to understand. But I also realize that it is very difficult to have just a legit conversation about talking about the elephant in the room yeah. without emotions flying and mm-hmm. people, you know, getting upset and frustrated and discouraged. Did Lewis
1: say, uh, "Anger is the fluid; love bleeds when you cut it"? Yeah, mm. makes sense.
2: Yeah, and that that anger is is. On both sides of the fence, that anger is rooted in fear. I,
1: yeah.
2: It is rooted in fear. Mm-hmm. It is rooted in fear for the life of that unborn child and what's going to happen in the life of a woman who experiences abortion. And on the other end, it's rooted in a woman who this wasn't her plan. And yeah, um, totally. you know, we know that we serve a God who, um, you know, there's no fear in love. Mm-hmm. Perfect love mm-hmm. casts out all fear. And, and that if God planned it,
0: we can trust him in it even if it's unplanned for us. So we're gonna end here, but stay tuned for part two. Be sure to subscribe to be notified when part two drops along with all other episodes. Thank you so much, Heidi. God bless. Thanks for joining us today on the Brick by Brick podcast. Visit us at arcadechurch.com or check us out on Instagram and Facebook to stay connected throughout the week.